millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's the drink talking. With the Thinking Drinkers, Ben McFarland and Tom Sandon. And Mistress of Wine, Sam Capon. All the booze, news and views. From Absinthe to Zinfandel. The Drinks Cabinet is now sitting. Hello and welcome again to our podcast. It's The Drink Talking, a podcast all about alcohol. And we will be pouring more drinks information into your ears over the next half an hour or so. My name's Tom Sandham and I am joined by the co-presenters who are Sam Caporn. Hello, Sam. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How have, are you? Have you recovered from your hangover? You had a hangover I, um, on our podcast? Yeah, no, I feel tip-top. That's brilliant. That's yeah. a miraculous and speedy recovery. Well done. Thank you. Sam, uh, anything you'd like to say? No. no. Okay. And uh, Ben McFarland, who's a beer expert, and my peer, my business partner, my life partner, yes. uh, the other and thinking friend. drinker and friend. Well, no. Uh, well, but the other colleagues. thinking drinker. How are you, Ben? I'm very well, thanks, Tom. Yeah, Looking good. forward to getting out there with our show to places like Harlow and Epsom and yeah, Mellon. Harlow, Epsom. Millen, Millen Barnard Castle, yeah. uh, Luton, uh, South End. Luton sold out, ladies Luton and gentlemen. Sold Luton sold out. Luton. Uh, Reading, Boom. Swindon. Yeah. Hull? Not, Not Hull. Hull. No. Oh, do you know anyone in Hull? No. The Spree Festival in Paisley, yeah. Mm. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, so off the back of Edinburgh, we, we're doing our tour, going around the country in our Royal Mail van. We have a, a, the Thinking Drinkers Mobile is an ex-Royal Mail van. Mm. I didn't know you had your own mobile. We yeah, do, man. Yes. Is there a picture of you dudes on the side? Not no. yet. Is it on your incognito? So you don't yeah, get well, we thought it's not. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to miss, although, yeah. you? Just the noise alone. Um, well, a lot of people haven't missed it by the looks of the dents on the side of it. I think it's you need to tweet battered. a photo of that. I need to see it. Okay. But the best thing about it is that when we bought it, we were driving back uh, up the uh, M6 or something like that, and I pulled the, the sun visor down. And this big kind Ooh, of gold, dread. gold key fell out of oh, I the visor. Oh, I thought spider. No, no, not spider. And it's a key to all the uh, post boxes. <sighs> mm, skeleton key. Yeah. Which is treason. You're not allowed to You're open not allowed them. Oh, I was going to say, I imagine you sent it straight back. No, no, no. no we still got it. It's still in there somewhere. But I put it into the post box. To, te- to check. Turned it, but yeah. I didn't open it because that is treason. Is it really treason? Because uh, it's Royal Mail? Yeah. The best thing about our van is that when we were driving to Edinburgh one year, we were on the uh, M1, it broke down in the middle lane. <laughs> it just stopped. <laughs> that was bad because we, we were driving up to Edinburgh and we had about £20,000 worth of booze in the van and we had to watch as 
juggernauts just ploughed past it. <laughs> and someone was saying the statistics of a broken down vehicle in the middle lane, how long uh, it can survive, is, yeah. it's quite a small amount of time. And it was there for a good hour. Yeah. Oh, we my just had God, to watch that's it so before, dangerous. Before they could drag it away. Yeah. And because we, we stopped and we didn't get out of the van, we just rang the AA from the van. And they said, where are you? And we were like, the middle lane of the M1. And the woman were very calm. She went, get out of the van. <laughs> get out of the van right now. Is this not so, the safest place to be? Yeah. Please, no. Get out of the van <laughs> right now. Not. So how fast were the cars going past your car? As well, fast like, as you can go on a motorway. Really? Some yeah. people were reading books. People oh, reading books. People were feeding their dogs in the back seat. You watch them. You think, I know. you are not in control of this. It's not just people using phones. So back then it selfish. wasn't even illegal. Yeah. You, could, you could use a phone. But people were reading, like, have like full-blown... Maps, yeah. While driving, on, while driving, oh, oh as ever, drink gets the hard <laughs> knocks. Yeah. Drinking is barely the worst thing you can do yeah, whilst yeah. driving. No, it is. It's, you shouldn't drink yeah. or drive, and no. you shouldn't drive into drink either. No, which was what we were saying. Please don't drive into yeah. our drink. Yeah. Uh, but we survived, and that van is still going strong, and will be taking us to all of our venues. Uh, the dates of which are all on our website, thinkingdrinkers.com. Yes. Nice one, Tom. Yeah, well hosted. So, welcome to our podcast, and we're going to be talking about all things drink and. Um, we're going to start off with some things that have made us pleased or angry about mm. drink over the last week. And it's mm. my turn to talk about spit or swallow. And my spit, folks, is student drinking. because Students. That's fairly standard behaviour. Yep. The two words kind of go they, hand in hand. If you go to university, not... you would expect to, at some point, be enjoying some alcoholic beverages. Unless you're one of the people, one out sure. of every four 18 to 24-year-olds who do not drink at That's all. That's a fair comment. Unless Amazing you have stats. A, you, you, you cannot drink unless you choose not to drink. Oh. But an organisation has recently put out a piece of research. They're called magnet.me. I don't know what me is after a dot. It's not com or co.uk, <laughs> is it? Um, but anyway, they put out this research and they said 24% of students who they are, they spoke to, and this was nine. 9,000 students, that's a lot. 24% uh, who drink over 20 units in the week have no idea what they want to do as a career. This was on uh, Sky News, they carried the story, and it was a big negative thing. Of the, these 9,000 the drink uh, over 20 units. Why are the two related? Well, two things. 24% drink over 20 units. Now, okay, one in four... 18 to 24 year olds are not drinking. I call bullshit on that for a start. 24% of them are lying. No, no, the other. Well, 75. So 24% of them are claiming to only drink 20 units. Now that's seen as the excess. And so those people who drink excessively say they don't know what they want to do as a career. So the second part of this is, if I'm asked when I'm 19 or 20 what I want to be is in the future, I'm still saying professional footballer. Yeah. I still think I've got yeah. a shot at that. Even at 20 units <laughs> yeah. a week. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I did a, an American studies degree. You didn't know I what did you it. doing. I did it to avoid that question <laughs> yeah. for three years. Yeah. You don't really... No, I didn't go into um, uni having a, a single idea what I was going to do. What did you do? What was your... I did um, English degree. Right. And actually, it was at university that myself and two girlfriends ran the Manchester University Wine Society, which is arguably where my first foray... Well, there we go. But that was the foundations of your career. Yeah, so it kind yeah. of started at 16, 17, and then uni ran the Wine Society, but basically it was... Oh, it's a big piss up, basically. Yeah, we had, just, we had cases and cases of wine in the, in the hall. Brilliant. Very popular. People came over a lot. I can Fan- imagine. Fancy that. However... 
that's what got me into that uh, was so, your career so you would have been the exception in this because so the time you I left uni I did have my, an idea an idea yeah, yeah. and, and I because went straight you drank, into it because yeah. you drank exactly so units. Ben did you drink uh, 20 units a week I did wow but I remember my, uh, my ex-girlfriend's stepdad genuinely asking me at the age of oh, I must have been 19 or 20 what I wanted to do mm. and I said I don't know Mm-hmm. And he was astonished. But I think and I just think, well, what, why would you I know could, that? But also, yeah. I could say anything. I'm going to be yeah. a yeah. I'm going to be a lawyer. Yeah, I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be a solicitor. But I think so. I'm going to be a, a, enter the, lawyer, the job market. Really? Uh, you don't know what's out you there. Know, like, you know, when you meet random people who do really crazy jobs, and you think, yeah. God, I wouldn't even think that existed. You know, numbers you of need to people almost, applying for yeah. university have fallen off a cliff because people are actually questioning whether they need to get into work and find out what yeah, they want to do. Because yeah. you've got to sit in that office and be answering telephones and surrounded by Sharon and Dave who are complete bellends and work out, I don't want to be in an office. Yeah. I don't want to be here. You need to yeah, actually yeah. be in that environment to work out. You don't work that out in university anyway. You're meant to sort of develop those sort of social skills. But just to bring back some stats on this, uh, 58% of those 9,000 said they drink once a week, no more than seven years. <laughs> I'm also going to call bullshit bastards. on that. Well, I'll tell you what they're going to be when they grow up. Lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> Lawyers. There yeah. you go. Yeah. They are okay. Do you know what? 76% of these were very optimistic about securing a job in law or politics. <laughs> he did say that bit. But I mean, Ben Thompson, 21, who's a student at the University of the West of England. Well, that's not university, <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> Come on, Ben. Really? Well, well you pull your socks up. I was at Wolverhampton, and I'm sheepish about that. At least that's a town. West <laughs> of he England. Doing? What's he doing? Pottery which, mechanics. Which one? University of West of England. Was it Bristol? Or? <laughs> no, just the whole of the West of England. I think we're all the same. When we're hungover, we're more likely not to go to uni and miss our lectures. Yeah. Well, I, but also, I think that's part of the culture. You had to go. I mean, I remember sitting at the back of a lecture, you know, being sick in my mouth and swallowing it because you have to go. I mean, that, that's that's. And now, yeah. more than ever, you're paying forty grand for your education, and you're going, "Oh, I was hungover. I didn't go. I didn't bother." And you're giving drink a bad name, yeah. really. Well, I one of the best the things I did, and I still look back at it and cringe a little was on the first day I got to uni I met a guy who I'd already met before in France who was living and studying there he was a lot older than me a guy called Alberto he's probably 10, 12 years old and we went to the pub got quite pissed and he said to me he said so who's your tutor and I was going I was just Dutch fella he's really esteemed in intellectual history you know yeah. and he said do you know what there's going to be loads of people on your course what I did and it really stood me in good stead was go to his office and introduce yourself and say how much you're looking forward to the course oh, and I was like I was like, yeah that sounds, mm. sounds pretty good he goes no, let's do it let's go and see him now I was like no I've had about eight points <laughs> he's like no 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 it'll be fine it'll be fine and he took me along there and I knocked on the door went in there I must have been yeah. annihilated and this big Dutch guy I'm really well known in his yeah. field and I introduced myself oh I really look forward to doing it yeah only four hours a week <laughs> and then um, shook his hand and did all that came out and Alberto went I can't believe he did that I've never did that well you, you idiot he never done that at all but I actually had any really fallout good... from that or did no, we no I think he was uh, I think he at least remembered me yeah and no he was a real inspiration now he's really yeah. got a nice guy yeah. and over I the guess. years I don't think that did me any harm I think he hmm. probably thought this guy's open to yeah. creative thought and none of it does you any harm because it's three years out of your life you're going to change your mind a lot 
Yeah. When you're 21, you don't really know and a great also, deal. So you're going to meet people there who go on and do really good stuff, and you can hang on to their coattails. Yeah. Yeah. Or I mean, bring them up when you need a job. Can end up sat in a room with the person who did intellectual history. <laughs> yeah. Someone who did American studies decided to set up a business together. Yeah. It doesn't matter what going you do nowhere. at university. <laughs> you're still going to lose. Yeah. Suckers. Um, so there you go. That was my spit. And yeah. my swallow is a bit more refined because my swallow is France. Oh, oh, la, la. The whole of France. Bonjour la classe, the whole <laughs> country. Oh, la vache. Mostly what I like about France is specifically relating to drink because I've just been in France recently. Um, if you listen to a previous podcast about cognac, cognac. I might have you talked might have about it a lot. But I went with uh, Hennessy, took me on a trip, and uh, it was a fantastic trip. Having been on luxury trips all around the world, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> kind of a big deal. Yeah, bear in mind, we did <laughs> precede this by talking about us travelling up and down the country in a royal mail van. That's true. But, <laughs> it kind of undermines I did it. once get taken on a private jet to Champagne. Well, I've just been I mean, on a private jet. Oh, so, yeah. oh well, High five. High five, Sam. Ben, any private jets <laughs> in no, beer? No, I went to the Jet Car Wars. Get lost. The date. Get lost. Get out of here. Um, when he said he went business class... Yeah, I well, was the Eurostar, but we okay. went to Paris, had a night in Paris, and then flew by private jet to Cognac. From Paris? From Paris. With Hennessy, uh, who really looked after us, and thank you, Hennessy. But the point I want to make is that I've done lots of incredible trips all around the world, and the closest comparison I can make really is the world of whiskey, because both categories have got similar stigmas, maybe they're kind of sometimes seen as a bit stuffy and uh, traditional and a lot of heritage. But when I go to Scotland, I never feel the mm. same levels of sophistication and luxury and the French just seem to raise the bar when it comes to those beautiful sophisticated experiences and when you drive around the vineyards and the mm. countryside in France you see all the rural buildings and everything rusty but it's got a bit of class about it oh, and also just these famous places like I um, studied French for a couple of weeks in Sancerre and and, uh, yeah, you're, you know, you're going through like burgundy and you've got like mm. little Pellini Montrachet and bone and... Yeah, yeah. Right, and, and all the buildings are old. Do you know, do you know what I think? The buildings look good and my wife and I were talking about this. Shutters. Yeah, good quality shutters, wooden, good mm. shutters. It's heritage, though. It's vintage. All that stuff yeah, is yeah. real. Yeah, it just looks real. And, it, and I mean, I know they didn't get bombed as badly as some oh. during the war. Why is that, Tom? Well, you know, they wanted to look after their buildings, yeah. frankly, and yeah. that's why Paris still looks uniformly yeah. traditional and beautiful, and lo- those countryside regions do. And they benefited from that process yeah. of not they, getting involved is, so much. They had its drawbacks. Yeah, of course. Uh, policy. Yeah, but, but, you know, let's just move on. appreciate the good things that happened, and the buildings are one of them. And But I think it stretches all the way across. I mean, the big houses that the distilleries in the Scotch whiskey... Big cognac houses. But no, no, actual big houses um, that the Scotch whiskey industry hold. And we've been to Glenrothes House or Mm. uh, Drummuir Castle. But they're all quite twee and um, cosy and it all... doesn't feel particularly classy with all due respect it's an experience well, that it's a different the gl- weather different and weather and, and the rest of the world love that and it's probably because it feels a bit cliched because we've grown up with it but when you go to france and we stayed at the hennessy house and it was just epic and the grounds deers run across them no. people are rowing across the the river at the bottom and you just sat there 
And there's just something about France that just seems to tick all the boxes yeah. at the same time. But it's, I think mm. the attitude to drink as well yeah. is amazing. Quite responsible and sophisticated. Yeah, but they just celebrate it in a very sort of everyday mm. way. You see in, people DNA, like, having a just one glass of wine with their food, mm. and that's it. They're not getting drunk, they're not ladies who lunch, they're not doing all these different... No. It is just part of their daily yeah. routine, and it's just such a healthy way of doing it. I went on holiday to Armagnac mm. with my wife and children. In the middle of nowhere, it forced us to do absolutely nothing. It was amazing. Perfect. And we did go to an Armagnac distillery, which is just down the road. Once mm. you've been to the, oh. the church with the tractor outside ten times. <laughs> yeah. And so we went to the tiny little producer and he welcomed us in and he took us around. Do you speak French? Yes. Uh, my wife does as well, does much she? better than me. Yeah. And Remy, our yeah. oldest, he has a few words... And one of his things is Je m'appelle, no. but he doesn't realise it means this is my, my, yeah, what's my, my name, name is. He just ha- uses it as a phrase of exclamation. Mm. So, <laughs> like, as we were going, <laughs> he was like, Je m'appelle. We used to see everything. And so, we got taken into these caves, the carve, the cellars, mm. and the guy showed us this lovely old barrel of Armagnac. He took out the bung, and we all um, lent in and smelt it. And um, Remy's too small, so I plonked him onto the barrel, and he stuck his nose in and looked at the guy who makes it and just went, Je m'appelle! Oh, <laughs> and so this French guy just looked at me, and we didn't say anything. And he went, Tu t'appelles? <laughs> and Remy went, Je m'appelle! <laughs> over and over again. Well, and, I don't and, have much French, and I would have said... Much the same, yes. and I was saying it all through my, my trip to Hennessy because it was phenomenal. I bought you a bit of this luxury back, oh, okay. folks, and, and sorry, listeners, you can't enjoy this, but I was out there to drink <laughs> the um, Hennessy <laughs> Paradis Imperial. Spat ten pounds. Uh, yeah, that is it's very expensive stuff. It costs two thousand pounds for a bottle of this stuff, um, wow. which might explain why I enjoyed France <laughs> as much so as much. I did because they we sat around and we had a, a Michelin star chef make us dinner in the the founders cellar at Hennessy and they served us this beautiful meal and they served us this cognac and it is phenomenal it is amazing uh, cognac it's so beautiful I mean they've really taken smooth yeah, and long oh, beautiful but elegant they've taken um, eau de vies that have spent 50 years in cask and then some of them have been taken from demijohns that are over 120 years old so this is like it's like drinking history and that's what cognac and the French have done so well is just present that history through a drink and it's something that Ben I know you as the thinking drinkers and I'm sure you're the same Sam that we really cling on to when we're talking to people about drink you can tell them all about what it tastes like how it's made but if you can back it up with some beautiful stories some great history things that make people more interested about it and take it just a bit away from the drink I think that people hold on to it a bit more and they value it a bit more and that's what the French well, do, do so well. Say magnifique. Say magnifique. Très bonjour, m'appelle. Now, just to go back to our previous spit, which is about students, I studied in France in Grenoble, mm. <laughs> and the student attitude to alcohol when I was there amongst the French students was completely different. They all drank, but the idea of getting smashed, mm. they weren't snooty about it. They just didn't get it. Mm. Alcohol was part of yeah, what they right. did, yeah. but it was just... A more civilised way, yeah. integral. It's just part of the culture. It yeah. was just around them all the time. They probably so drink never... about as much as we do yeah. over the year. In fact, they do. There's more per capita drinking in France is higher than it but, is but here. I think more slow and steady. They're yeah. spingy. Yeah. yeah. Even like you go to 
like these service stations and mm. there'll be really nice food and people will be having a glass of wine mm. at a service, at a service station. Yeah. And, yeah. and I know... Because the wine and food is so linked. And they yeah. don't tax their sins. Yeah. They don't tax their pleasures like we do what here. We do, yeah. What do you think of the Hennessy uh, I think it is Imperial? Lush. It is amazing. It is amazing. I don't um, normally get that excited about the spirits. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the price tag does obviously lend itself to excitement, but it is, it's just... It is an extraordinary. You can spirit. smell it. Just um, you can smell it from quite a long way away. Like yeah, just... I mean they served it up this dinner in the inner cellar, but they also had this art installation which they put in, which was incredible as well. And just the whole the way they did everything from private jets. They got a bit of cash behind them. They have Hennessy are yeah. a massive company, but there are bigger companies that rest on their laurels, and they don't. And they do embrace every and everything about it felt French. They really held on to the core of what they were about, and I just. I really love France and, you know, yeah. if, if they can give me a house there. Which, interesting, they don't <laughs> cost that much, do they? You can no. get 10 bed manors for 200 grand. No, I know. Um, so that's um, my spirit, that's my swallow. Well, so excellent. You enjoyed it, you enjoyed your expensive 200 pound a glass. That was Cognac. amazing. Thank you very much for bringing it back. Oh, mm. Thank them, because they said you were Thanks, Hennessy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And now it's time to move on to our tasting. And today, it's you, Sam, so we're tasting wine. It's mm. me, it's wine, and today I thought we'd have a little sip of Sauvignon. Mm. So I've got two Sauvignon Blancs. Okay, I like the, the way she went Sauvignon, looked at us, and we were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. keep going. I am I don't a, know what you're a huge about. fan of Sauvignon Blanc, and interestingly, I was talking to a, a wine expert recently who? who said that when it comes to Sauvignon Blanc, and I was joking about picking up a £5 bottle of Sauvignon yeah. Blanc in a supermarket, he was saying it's probably one of the one grapes where you can afford to go down in the price scale and it's actually if you spend too much money on a Sauvignon Blanc you're not getting a great deal more for your money is that fair or um the thing I would say with Sauvignon is it's quite aromatic so it's instantly quite recognizable so with Sauvignon largely it doesn't go in oak or so all the things that make a wine quite expensive like imagine if you had a Chardonnay and you know they put it in oak 
barrels of an aged ale, what have you, all that kind of thing makes wine more expensive. But um, so with Sauvignon normally it's quite crisp and it's fresh and it's fermented in stainless steel. So the winemaking process is sort of cheaper. But there are certainly places like in Bordeaux or the New World where they'll do like a wild ferment and they'll age it in oak. Like any wine, there's a huge... Of course. Um, I think it just meant if I was making a supermarket purchasing choice between the prices of five and 20 pounds. Yeah, and Sauvignon maybe... generally is never terrible. Right. So I think there is a, there is a point there in that it's kind of light and crisp and fresh and, yeah. you know, whatnot. And in fact, um, if you go to the pub, the Sauvignon's probably quite a good choice right. to have because it's just kind of, you kind of know what you're getting. Yeah. But the interesting thing with Sauvignon, I think, is they have flavour compounds in Sauvignon called methoxypyrazines or pyrazines. And um, they've got different ones. You've got um, IBMP, IPMP, S. BMP, they're all related to different smells. So Sauvignon's got classic aromas, particularly of green things like grass, herbs, nettles, elderflower, bell pepper, sort of capsicum. And the different ones create these different smells. So when people do say, oh, the problem with wine is I taste wine and to me it just tastes of wine... Actually, if you practice, it shouldn't do. You know, you've generally got these flavour compounds that really do smell of certain things. Right. So here, the first one we're trying, so we're going to compare. We've got um, a Sancerre, and then we're going to try a New Zealand Sauvignon. So the thing with Old World, New World, Old World's Europe, New World's outside of Europe, and the complication as well in Europe, in the Old World, they label by region. Right. So Sancerre is Sauvignon, okay. but yeah, you need a bit of knowledge to know. So yeah. you've got Sancerre, you've got Perfume, you've got Cansiman to Salon, Rui, you've got all these different places that all produce Sauvignon, particularly in the Loire in France, and then you've got sort of Bordeaux and elsewhere. Have Sancerre recognised that as a stumbling block and started putting Sauvignon Blanc on bottles as well? To uh, so, uh, some, I had a terrain Sauvignon yeah. recently and it did have Sauvignon on the bottle. Yeah. Because that isn't something I, I knew. Like I have to say, I'm, I'm very ignorant of that. So it's complicated because basically you've got all these wine laws that basically lay down what grapes can be grown in what region. Mm. So in Chablis, you can only grow Chardonnay. So all Chablis is Chardonnay. Mm. In Burgundy, legally, they can only, for white, grow Chardonnay in Burgundy and Pinot Noir for red. So from Burgundy, they're the two grapes yeah. you get. And the same in, in the Loire, you only pretty much get um, Sauvignon in a lot of these places or Chenin. And um, a red um, Sancerre will be Pinot. And then when you go, same when you go to Italy, you need to learn that, you know, Chianti is Sangiovese and you go to Rioja and Rioja is Tempranillo predominantly. Mm. And that's kind of, you know, Barolo's Nebbiolo. So for anyone interested in wine, the first thing that's good to learn is what regions grow what right. grapes because what the grape is is the biggest determining factor of what the wine tastes like. Um, so once you can lock in what the grape is, you can start to build up what the wine should taste like, and then whether you like it. It sounds restrictive. Is that why New World wines have sort of punched Old World was, on the nose yeah, a bit? I, I think, um, yeah, New World wines are much easier to understand. You go onto the label and it says on it, Sauvignon or Chardonnay mm. or Viognier mm. or Shiraz or what have you. So I think it does make it much easier because a lot of people might say, oh, I, I hate Chardonnay, but then they love Chablis. And they mm. don't know what great variety goes into those mm. wines that are labelled by... The village mm. name. Okay. Like, you know, Sancerre is a place. You go to Sancerre and... Drink so the first one is a Sancerre, but very light colour. And ju- again, as I said before, just really fresh winemaking, made in stainless steel tanks, cool ferment, and it's quite subtly green, so... Quite minerally. Mm. A bit of almond on that. 
almond. I'm getting a bit of almond on that. <laughs> Something quite subtle and nutty, but also mostly mostly green, green, like herby, fresh, and yeah, and yeah. crisp, fresh, yeah. high acid, no oak. So this is um, very, very refreshing, crisp, light. Wow, zingaling. I like that. Mm. My go-to drinking behaviour over the course of an evening now would, would start with a very crisp, dry white wine with some twiglets, maybe Ooh. peanuts, mm. um, maybe plain crisps, cheap ones, supermarket brand, dipped into hummus. Ooh. Oh, uh, yeah. I had some lentil crisps in hummus recently. I'm trying to get healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, delicious. <laughs> That'll but, do it. Why are you on a stone? A pot of hummus. Um, I ate a whole pot of hummus. <laughs> um, of lentil crisps. <laughs> But needed a poo. <laughs> no. But I'm making the dinner, so then I would move on to. Um, so this cognac. Sancerre, yeah, two thousand pound bottle of cognac. Thanks, Hennessy. Um, um, this Sancerre Le Cayot, 2016. It's from Sainsbury's. Oh. oh. How much? I think it's thirteen pounds, and I think it's on offer. Mm. See, I've got to say. I don't no, think I'd spend thirteen. Pounds I won't spend on that. thirteen pounds on that. But not because I don't like it. But yeah, it's because, because I can get just... a Sauvignon Blanc for six pounds. That's and also I, I don't I enjoy. That's another thing with the old world wines from places like Sancerre and so on. You know, it's from a very specific place, and it's like supply and demand. Mm. And these places tend to produce quite expensive wines. Yeah, I, I contradict myself because I much prefer the idea of that. It's so subtle, it's so nuanced though that I wonder whether you're going to be really picking up the value. The real distinguishable difference in taste is harder to ascertain as opposed to and another like, style of wine where you go, okay, that is very thin and this is much more full-bodied. Do you see mm. what I mean? Yeah, it's, you're it's, basically saying you're going for the same kind of flavour profile possibly mm. and it's, it's likely to be sort of fresh and zippy. You're buying Sunset as a soft brand like, it's not like you're going out and buying, I don't know, Jacob's Creek or whatever. You know, Sunset is so, absolutely. a brand as well. So some people will see themselves as Sunset drinkers rather right. than Sauvignon drinkers. It's a nicer thing to bring it's around quite, to dinner, Exactly. It? It's quite sophisticated. Yeah. And if you're going to, yeah, go and take a bottle of wine to someone's for dinner. Yeah. But, but just on New, Think Ze- on the job, ben. New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, you know that Asda one? This is purely coincidental because I wrote down a label, label. that I saw in Asda. Right. And it's New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. And this is a bit of a bugbear of mine, is this kind of, the sort of tasting notes that are a bit sort of pally and chatty yeah. and kind of, hi guys, we're just a bottle of wine and we want to be your mate kind of thing. I'll read it out to you. New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. The name says it all. When we're not bungee jumping, jet boating, rugby playing and shearing sheep, we're down among the vines in Marlborough watching the grapes grow. Then, when the time is right... And it, the rugby isn't on. We pick them, and some months of winemaking magic later, out pops a world-beating fruity bottle of awesome. You're about to pop into your trolley. Cheers to that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd buy the Sonsair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Sonsair kind yeah. of drinker. Well, I, I, I am a Sonsair drinker. I mean, that description alone should Illegal. make you boycott. Yeah. Mm. Not only is it grammatically wrong, it's just... Lame. It's just lame. Mm. And it's clichéd, and... It should be sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, shoot, you're shoot. putting them up on their grammar, which is the least of it's my the problem. Least, with them. Yeah. Well, that has got a real aroma of <laughs> fur on it. <laughs> it's sort of like a lamb's wool. 
Sounds mm. a bit of a gamble to me. <laughs> oh, stop it. So, moving on. Yeah. So, this is Brankelt Estate Terroir series. Um, Sauvignon so from French French to yeah. Yeah. I've now got to look at the back label. So, it doesn't have quite as distinctive a back label as your Asda bungee jumping one. Yeah. But interestingly, it does say that... Um, Blah, blah, blah. And the terroir is an intriguing combination of location, soil, climate, and a vigneron's touch that provides a unique personality <laughs> right. to the wine. A vigneron's so, touch? Um, who, is, one... who is vigneron? Who is that? <laughs> <laughs> what is he touching? The vigneron, the winemaker, has obviously made his um, touch felt and is going to have a little gold medal winning wine from the New Zealand International Wine Show. Now, that, yeah. that, does that matter? Do you think those things on the label, yeah, I suppose, I in a super Market, they no, do. I do they actually because I'm out. a judge at a number of competitions, and we... <laughs> so you can't undermine them. <laughs> so I really can't undermine them. So that's my paycheck. And, yeah, and <laughs> guys, mortgage. we worked really hard to taste all the wines, yeah, yeah, and then decide which are the best ones we've tasted. And to win a gold medal is not an it's easy not thing easy. to do. No, okay. you know, for one of the competitions I taste for, you've got to score 95 plus points out of 100 right. to get a gold. That's quite, yeah, so, you know, it's got intense. to be a bloody good wine. And this is really, I do think this is a really lovely New Zealand Sauvignon. It it's got good. quite different to the Sunset. It's a, it's a lot more exuberant. It's more fruity. It's got it's a very distinct style. They do sometimes bottle Sauvignon with a tiny bit of CO2 to keep it very fresh. Mm. And what, what I like about it is if I can't be bothered to go to and from the fridge and I have no chilling vessel yeah actually it's not that cold at the moment but this is room temperature of, lots of flavors start to come out as it gets yeah. warmer yeah so that's a really interesting point actually because i didn't chill these and the reason i didn't chill them was a can't be bothered and two <laughs> yeah that's good yeah. and two i think sometimes wines are drunk too cold you know in the summer if it's hot you know you want something that's refreshing so sort of temperature wise but the problem with really chilling a wine is it hampers the aromics. Yeah. It totally yeah. flattens the aromas. Yeah. And I remember tasting wine and quite enjoying it. By the end of the meal, I loved it. And it wasn't because I'd drunk in a couple of glasses. It's because mm. it actually it opened up mm. and, yeah. and it was just sort of softer. And so these wines have not been chilled. And consequently, the you know, aromas are really pinging them. out. Going back to the pyrazine thing, some classic aromas in New Zealand, so on particularly, are sort of passion fruit and asparagus. And that is one of those three flavour compounds, the pyrazines. I think it's the I... Oh, I can't remember they're called now. IPDD. You know, it was the... IPB ball? I... IPBB. No. IPP. Does it make your PP smell? Because it's got no. asparagus. Yeah, yeah, no, it should do. Yeah. But it's the asparagus. It's one of those specific pyrazine flavour compounds. There we go. Yeah. I like that. But they're good, I aren't they? Very dis- really, really distinctive. Go really nicely with my Watsits and Twiglets. And yeah, the thing with Sauvignon is it goes very well with some dishes that are hard to match. Asparagus, tomatoes... Ah. are very hard to match with. Because when I'm making, you know, when I'm exploring my cuisine and I'm making salad, yeah. <laughs> then I'll occasionally salad. eat some of the salad while well, I'm chopping it. Salad, yes. very good with... Uh, with um, but what's ultimately frustrating mm. for me is that if I drink that New Zealand wine, I go, oh, I like Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. I really like it. And then I speak to you and go... Which area of France does Sauvignon Blanc? You go, oh, Sancerre. And I go, oh, I'm going to go and buy a Sancerre. And then I drink that. It's totally different. I know. It's totally mm. different. I know, I know. So whilst the grape yeah. does dictate a lot, it doesn't at the same time. Mm. They're two very different wines. I'm sure there is a wine in made in France in a completely different region using a completely different grape that tastes more like a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc than a Sancerre does. Yeah, so it's a very interesting point. So basically, the grape is definitely the first 
part mm. to understand in terms of wine education. Like lock in the grape, lock in what those flavours are. And then the next tier is regional distinction. So mm. learning that South African Sauvignon, for example, is really green peppery and New Zealand is more yeah, asparagus, gooseberry, passion fruit. And France is more sort of yeah, gunflint, mineral, elderflower. But they all have very strong family connections. So they are mm. all green, pyrazini, yes. fresh high acid generally not oaked so if you don't like oak you don't like wines that have gone through like malolactic fermentation are really kind of creamy and smooth and you like that kind of refreshment they are quite clearly part of the same family right but interestingly i would say sauvignon is arguably the grape that has the most regional distinctions that is the most different according to where it's grown in the world but then chardonnay has loads as well wow i want to hear more about this judging on other wines because you should bring in wines that you've judged, Sam. So we well, can, I think 95, you, what, you give Anything 95 that's got, to um, oh, uh, yeah. Gold. Yeah. Yeah, you should do that. What are like the Oscars of the wine world? There's going to be badges on bottles from different competitions all over yeah. the world. Is there like a medaille d'or? There's loads of, all around the world. You get the. Um, Which one pays one? you the most to be there? Um, yeah, the International Wine Challenge. Yes, oh, so we they are good. Yeah. So we love those guys as much yeah. as Hennessy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a panel chair for them, so I run a team and we do the judging. Ah, okay. so you, yeah. and do you get paid for that? Yeah, good. Do all the judges get paid? For I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. The idea that people wouldn't. And there are some people out there who oh, think you just give the time up because you enjoy seriously? it. Seriously, it's hard work. Mm, when you get an email going, "Hi, can you come to Portugal and judge for four days yeah. uh, a competition?" We'll pay you your flight in hotel. Well, yeah, like, I can go on holiday to Portugal yeah. anytime I want, yeah. but, and I don't have you to can't. hang you out with you guys. True, and I've got two small children who yeah. chain me to my home, <laughs> except <sighs> when I go on luxury tours. Anyway, that's right, the tasting sound. Oh, thank good. you. I, I particularly enjoyed it because I am a now a Sancerre drinker. Oh, uh, I was <laughs> yeah. a Sauvignon Blanc drinker. We haven't really had much about beer, have we, in this podcast? No, so but it's uh, about to change. Legend of liquor. Let's have a legend of liquor, who's hopefully beer related, Ben. He's a wonderful man, and not many people know about him. In fact, very few people beyond the kind of impassioned beer connoisseur will know this guy. In a way, his legacy is the great beer that you are drinking in pubs and bars at the moment, and the reason why, when we go into a supermarket, there's such a depth and breadth of flavour and style, is in some ways inspired by this guy who is not championed enough, in my opinion. And this man is called Jack McAuliffe. And he is the godfather, rather reluctant godfather, of the American craft brewing scene. Now, most people attribute... Is he American? He is American. Mm-hmm. Still alive? He's still alive, mm-hmm. but he's quite reclusive. He's um, not really big... No, he doesn't brew anymore. In, he's not a face no, in the industry in really any way, isn't, is he? he isn't, and many people have tried to give him the him credit that he's due. But most people associate the West Coast brewing scene with... The Godfathers, people like Ken Grossman, who's still running Sierra Nevada, and Fritz Maytag, Fritz Maytag who made took over washing the, machines. He made washing machines first as families and washing machine magnate. And he then breathed life back into Anchor Brewing, which that Anchor Steam beer being their flagship beer. But the real man that inspired them all and really gave them the faith to get into brewing was this man called Jack McAuliffe. And now he was an American guy who joined the Navy. He spent the mid-1960s in Scotland in a place called Hollylock. He used to repair the Navy's first nuclear submarines. Flipping out. And near the lock was a small town of Dunoon, 
where all the sailors, freshman shifts, would go and drink loads of different beers. Coming from America, hadn't experienced this wee heavy and mm. bitter and best bitter, things like that. And so they had beers from all over the UK. And then when he went back to America, went back to the West Coast, all he could drink was sort of lackluster, boring lagers. And so illegally, he started homebrewing because homebrewing was still illegal because of prohibition. Then he set up his own brewery on the back of this called New Albion, named after the explorer Francis Drake called the Pacific Northwest, New Albion. Uh-huh. So he named it after that. Jack McAuliffe was uh, an engineer and he was brilliant at welding. And so he bought these old Pepsi, Coca-Cola tanks and welded them together. I mean, it's really, it was like something out of the A-team. He basically <laughs> put things together. It's really rudimentary brewery that was way ahead of its time. There was no one else doing this. And the idea back then, even though sort of people were becoming sick of the big corporate America and were starting to, in terms of food and restaurants, were starting to do things a bit more artisan, and the wine revolution was sort of kicking in there, but no one was talking about beer and everyone thought he was mental. He started brewing these British beer styles on this rudimentary brewery. And it was successful for a bit, But because there was no one else there, there was no support, there was no network, there was no one to bounce ideas off, he actually went bust quite quickly. He started in 1976 and I think in 1982 he shuttered the whole operation. But in that time there were other people homebrewing, people like Ken Grossman and Fritz Maytag. He inspired them to realise that you can be totally skint but still set up a brewery. But in 2007 we were at the Craft Beer brewing conference in San Diego and he was awarded a lifetime achievement Jack, but he didn't turn up he didn't turn up he sent a guy called Don Barkley to go down there who was his sort of protege at the time his his sort of um, right hand man man who set up the Mendocino brewery himself is seen as a bit of a hero as well to accept the award I mean he's a real recluse but they brewed a beer together, another New Albion beer, and all the profits of the sale of this beer with Jim Cook and Ken Grossman were given to Jack. And Jack gave it to his daughter, who he hadn't seen for years and years, who he adopted. And she's now brewing that in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, cool. Um, so nice. he's someone that really stays out of the limelight. And he's only operating for six years, but his legacy and what he did... was like the did, godfather of... Yeah, I mean, he really went out on a limb and didn't succeed and has made very, very little money mm. from it. And, and now, does, it, does it make beer now? No. He sort of says he's more than happy to advise people, but he mm. certainly doesn't like the limelight. But I think you talk about the way he put his kit together, even that, you know, mm. the, and what craft means, that legacy of... We were down in places like Alesmith and they were using old dairy kit, people scrapping together any materials they could. I mean, that's been inspired by him he started off like that and showed people what can be achieved with nothing you don't have to buy expensive kit here and the other thing he did which was really really important along with fritz maytag was that they lobbied californian authorities the sort of legislature to allow you to brew and sell beer on the same premises i.e a brew pub Mm. yeah yeah he went bankrupt in 82 and it passed in 83, and if he'd just held oh, on, that would have stayed. But the legacy of that is that yeah. up and down, and the brew pub oh, thing huge. is massive in California. Yeah. He's just done so much, and the reason that people like Ken Grossman and Fritz and anyone, and Ballast Point down in San Diego just sold up to one of the big guys, who they're all they're probably messing about on super yachts and mm. are very, very rich. They made a lot of money out of a scene that, he started, he started and mm. 
and I'm not saying oh, they should gutted. give any money for it to oh, him. him. No, no, I think no, I think there's a lot of good will. And a bit of, least, a bit of luck. Just, like just just a, you, sometimes you're yeah. in the right place at the right time. Like all these, I don't know, social media tech entrepreneurs who've mm. been the first person to do something well. Mm. There yeah. might have been loads of people before. Yeah. Yeah, I hope I hope my legacy or our legacy rather is that <laughs> my we, legacy is that uh, you know even is if this? we come out of this penniless, that we've inspired other people to make similar drinks podcasts and they thrive commercially. That will yeah, give me a lot of pleasure. That's I won't make what we're aiming at here. But um, um, I think there is a lot of goodwill within the craft brewing well, fraternity that everyone's been like, "Come on, you're, you've really kickstarted this, and we mm. owe you a." A debt. So no, it's, it's good. He's, and go and, um, and we never tasted the beer because it tastes like shit. But, <laughs> uh, but at least he was trying. Yeah, if it's anything based on Scottish beer from the sixties, then <laughs> it's Christ knows what it dreadful. tastes like. But at least it was different, and he was doing something. So I think we should all raise a glass I to agree, Jack McCullough. Um, good one. Well, that probably brings us to the end. It, I think it does indeed. Fantastic podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed. Have it. we got some questions to answer? We have. It turns out that people are enjoying our podcast yeah. and that they are contacting us Frequently. by the medium of emails internationally now yeah. we've had an email in from, from uh, South Africa. Africa listeners so you know feel free to email and in to us as well and yeah uh, when we can answer these questions it yeah. came from a guy in South Africa and I must apologise I haven't got his name here but he wanted to know he was very fascinated about our talk about Diplomatico rum yeah Good rum. And that is great my favourite. Because we were talking about how to drink it and it's best drunk neat. And he's talking about how with whiskey, you a lot of people say you should have it with a bit of water to open up the aromas, make it yeah. easier to drink. Could you or should you do the same with a rum such as Diplomatico? With any high strength spirit, adding a bit of water will have the same effect. So yes, it will. The chemical compounds, will, it will open it up so that you can get some of those aromas. While we, we talk a lot about not chilling things down, I don't think it matters to have a piece of ice in a, in a rum like that, particularly as oh, I, I, like I associate mm. rum with a sort of a quite warm, decadent-y warm, nice, but a warm yeah. moment as well. So you just oh. have, if you're in the heats, whereas with whiskey, you probably associate it more with the fire and the cosiness. Mm. Um, so I don't know if it's that much of a problem to put a piece of ice in it as well. A bit of water lengthens it and makes it last a bit longer and it's strong. So yes, you can do with it what you like, mate. Okay, well, that's not the only correspondence we've had. We've also had a text message in. Right. How they got the number? No, that's, that's <laughs> a bit sinister. From uh, a man called Jack Simpson, and his question was well, less of a question, more of a, just something he's done. Mm. So mm. I don't know how to react to this. How you want, Sam? Um, it's about wine. He said that when he was in Australia, he mm-hmm. had a wine mm-hmm. made using grapes that had been affected by a bushfire. Yeah. And you yeah. said it was well, smoky. Yes, um, it wouldn't have, I don't think they'd have gone and sourced the grapes specifically to create a wine that smelt of bushfire. I suspect it's all, it's like a. <laughs> I suspect it's kind of like a. Sometimes you'll have fires, mm-hmm. and that can imbue the wine with some smoky. So really? like a taint. It that would be. I would perceive that as a fault. Okay. As so in, you try and get rid of it. You know, you? Uh, but it's also interesting because it makes you think. You know, the grapes have have roots that are coming up from the soil, but the whole photosynthesis mm. and what actually is taken in from the environment because mm. some. Australian wine is also quite eucalyptusy, and it seems you know they can have quite a minty eucalyptus kind of note and it generally does seem to be that that is particularly prevalent in wines that are grown quite near those sort of trees mm. so it's, it's quite an interesting one about how much the grapes you know the leaves or whatever seem to mm. take from the environment but no smoke taints um 
a thing. I don't think it's something anyone you know would consciously try and get into their wine. But you might as well mm. try it if you've mm. got. But it's a very, yeah, it's an interesting point. You yeah, can you if they have had a fire. That's absolutely true. You could pick that up in the Eucalyptus wine. trees are really interesting. They clear off a lot of pests, including mosquitoes, I recently found out. Dear they God, really don't mosquitoes. like them, which is why a lot of farmlands would plant them so that oh, to keep, keep away yeah, a lot of yeah. the pests. Nice. Bushfires, meanwhile, What's takes us back to a previous podcast. Yeah, about Chubber cranberry off. juice. If you've got a fiery bush, bring some cranberry juice. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> anyway, listeners, that definitely does bring us to the end. Uh, thank you. Please do write in. Uh, we really want to know people are listening. Yeah. Uh, it makes us feel so special. Loved. But thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. More next week with more drink, chat and drinking uh, through the airwaves. Thanks for listening. Speak to you then. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Drink less, drink better. This was a Grand Cru podcast from Seven Digital. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.